Welcome to the Wish Well Podcast, a women's integrative summit on health and wellness. A podcast hosted by Dr. Michelle Dang, a board-certified anesthesiologist and pain management physician with additional fellowship training in integrative medicine. This podcast will feature weekly episodes with women from all walks of life discussing their health and wellness journeys. Hi everyone, it's Dr. Michelle Dang. I hope you all are doing well. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Wish Well podcast. I'm super excited to bring to you today episode 25, Mindful with Dr. Ni Cheng Liang. I'll tell you a little bit about her in just a minute, but before we get into the episode, I just want to check in, make sure that you all are doing well, staying healthy, staying as active as you can. I know that things are pretty crazy right now all over the world. And, um, you know, we all have to do our best to be a little bit mindful. So I think that Dr. Ni Chang's story today definitely resonated with me, and I hope it will resonate with a lot of you who are listening. And as another gentle reminder, if you are listening on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate if you would leave a rating and review or just send me a message and let me know that you are listening. I love reading little comments and messages from you all. So let's get into this episode. A little bit about Dr. Ni Cheng Liang. She is a mother of two. She is a cancer survivor, American Lung Association San Diego Lung Health Provider of the Year Pulmonologist in 2019. Top Doctor 2017 and 2019 San Diego, and Inaugural Outstanding Mother Award recipient in 2019, and a mindfulness teacher. She is the Director of Pulmonary Integrative Medicine at Coastal Pulmonary Associates, affiliated with the Scripps Health Network in Encinitas, California. And she maintains a voluntary assistant professor of medicine appointment at the University of California San Diego School of Medicine. She has presented and led workshops and retreats locally and nationally on mindfulness, physician well-being, integrative, and pulmonary medicine to medical trainees, faculty physicians, healthcare administrators, and patients in person, online, and has been interviewed for webinars, podcasts like this one, and for the local news. She also has published articles and um, essays on integrative medicine, mindfulness, and perspectives as a cancer survivor in the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine and in Kevin MD. And I actually just listened to Kevin MD's podcast. So if you haven't heard the podcast, it actually is entitled The Podcast. It is a really good one to listen to if you are in the healthcare field or even if you are not. Um, and you can find out a little bit more information about Dr. Leong at mindfulhealthcarecollective.com and ncleongmd.com. And I will leave all that information on the show notes. Actually, she and I met, I believe, through a couple of Facebook groups that we are a part of. Um, and I actually did feature her on my Fit Female Physicians group as well. So if you are a female physician and you want to find out a little bit more information um, or you want to join our group, just leave me a message or find us on Facebook or on Instagram. 
So I really hope that you enjoy this episode. I find her story very inspiring. And um, also she does dragon boating, which I think is super cool. And so if you go to check her out, she is on Instagram as well. You can check her out and um, connect with her there. Other than that, enjoy this episode. I'll see you all again next week. Take care. All right. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Michelle Dang with the Wish Well podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Ni Cheng Liang. Um, who is a pulmonologist, a practicing pulmonologist, and I'm very excited to have her on the show. So welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what health and wellness means to you. I'm an adult pulmonologist practicing in San Diego. Um, About almost nine years ago now, I was diagnosed with a really aggressive form of breast cancer during my fellowship, and it forced me to maximize my self-care because I know that if you don't take care of yourself, you won't be able to take care of others. And so during my time in acute treatment with chemotherapy and three surgeries, I realized that the medical center that I was getting my care at and also training to be a pulmonologist at had a center for mindfulness. And there was a cancer survivor day and I went to the session on mindfulness and the introduction to mindfulness that was presented resonated with me on a very deep level. And I knew immediately that I wanted to start practicing it and to bring aspects of it into my own practice of medicine and to help bring awareness to healthcare professionals who suffer a lot from burnout. So health and wellness means that I am taking care of myself, mind, body, and soul so that I can take care of others and show up in a more authentic way. That's so powerful. And um, so um, I know it must have been a lot for you to have to go through uh, the diagnosis and the treatment, especially during fellowship, which is, um, you know, hard in and of itself. So can you kind of talk us through what life was like during that time period for you? Yeah, absolutely. I decided to take a year off of treat of uh, fellowship so that I could really focus on treatment. I was in chemotherapy for about five months and I had enrolled in a clinical trial at the time. It was called the iSpy2 trial. So I had neoadjuvant chemotherapy or basically chemotherapy before surgery. And I lost every single piece of hair on my body. And to this day, I still have a very keen appreciation for my nose hairs because otherwise I would have a runny nose all the time like I did during chemo. Um, That's so really I, interesting that you have an appreciation for your nose hair. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. In fact, all body hair <laughs> is quite yeah. protective. <laughs> and you don't realize that until you lose every piece of it. Right. Uh, so during that time, um, I had a head shaving party because when my hair was falling out in droves, the only thing that I really could control at that time was the amount of hair left on top of my head. And Mm -hmm. so I had friends come over and family come over and they took turns buzzing my head 
to complete baldness. Um, and that to me was actually quite empowering. Uh, mm -hmm. And it helped me get through the next onslaught of, of chemo and, and the three surgeries that came. Um, during that time, I also will say that um, during acute treatment for my health and wellness, I did become more of a formal yogi. Um, and mm -hmm. it was very much more gentle and restorative yogi practices. Um, but I did a lot of walking and then the meditation helped to reduce the side effects of chemotherapy as well. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, that time in acute treatment was not only to get the best that allopathic medicine had, but also to help maximize my quality of life as a cancer survivor with integrative medicine approaches that were evidence-based. Um, with surgery, uh, the first one was probably the most impactful. Um, it was the bilateral mastectomy and um, it felt like someone had splayed open my chest. And I remember distinctly having to sleep on a recliner because it was quite painful to just get up from bed. And so I needed the, the muscles of the recliner instead of my own abs and my own chest wall to, to bring me up. Um, I also had these tubes that um, came out of the incisions with drains on them. And so I remember having to pin these drains with like Hawaiian punch colored fluid onto like a big baggy shirt. So I was wearing like my dad's button downs or my husband's button downs um, because they were nice and big and I could pin the, the drains onto those. Um, but then as the, the surgeries progressed because I chose to get reconstruction, the surgeries became easier and easier. And, and to this day, when I have other surgeries, like I recently had an appendectomy about four weeks ago, Oh, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, everything kind of pales in comparison to the, the pain from the mastectomies. So, mm -hmm. so I feel like it has really um, raised my pain threshold <laughs> a lot, having gone through yeah. mastectomies. And of course, like two childbirths, right? Because like, that that's definitely 10 out of 10 pain. <laughs> so how did you have um, children during this time? Did you have your kids during this time? Pre, uh, during the diagnosis or after the diagnosis? So my eldest, my now eldest is uh, my BC baby. So my before cancer baby. She was mm -hmm. about a year and a half when I was diagnosed. So luckily and um, kind of unfortunately, it's both. Um, she doesn't remember anything about that mm -hmm. time. Uh, and so she was a year and a half. My, my dad luckily uh, had just recently retired and he and my mom had recently moved out to California to be with their first grandchild anyway. And the timing worked out weirdly well in that um, they were able to be there for me to be my caregivers for um, my eldest at the time. Uh, <clears throat> and then after five years of survivorship, because for triple negative breast cancer, the three-year mark and the five-year mark are really important because that means um, that the chances of recurrence after the three and five-year mark from initial diagnosis, there's much less chance of recurrence after those time points. Um, and so after going to all of my different physicians from 
the geneticist to the um, reproductive medicine specialist to my oncologist. Um, I got the okay to start trying for baby number two, but I decided to wait a little bit longer. And luckily I was able to conceive my um, second daughter, my after diagnosis baby, my AD baby. And she is now two years old. So I have a 10 year old now and a two year old. Well, um, so thank you for sharing all of that. Um, and there are a couple of, of kind of follow-up questions that I had for you. Um, so you mentioned that you were in fellowship when you were diagnosed and then you took the time off. Um, for people who um, are not in the medical field or may not understand, um, you know, maybe uh, do you mind kind of explaining what that means in terms of your training and, um, you know, what happened after that? Did you, where were you in your fellowship? And then did you go back and complete your fellowship? And I know that you did, but um, just maybe explain to the non-medical listeners. Absolutely. So uh, for a physician's path, there's tens of thousands of hours of book training and also on the job training. Um, So there's you have your undergraduate, so that's usually four years, and then four years of medical school, where year three and four are spent mostly in clinical rotations, where it's much more like on the job training, but you are the medical student on the team. And then you choose a field, a specialty sometimes, um, and I chose internal medicine, wanted to be a doctor for adults, And so that was three years. I chose to apply to be a chief resident. And so I stayed for an extra year teaching and doing administrative work with setting up rotations for residents and um, developing curriculum uh, for teaching and getting a better sense of the administrative side of running a residency program. And then I uh, applied for fellowship, got into UC San Diego's fellowship program where I had just done residency training. And that was another three years, um, two of which are clinical and one is mostly research. And I had um, the breast cancer diagnosis during my clinical year. Um, And so I took a year off because I knew that with chemotherapy, I would be um, immunocompromised or my immune system wouldn't be strong. And so to have to work 80 hours a week would have been very exhausting and draining and basically not feasible for me during chemotherapy. Uh, And so as a result of that fellowship plus the medical leave that I took ended up being about four years. Um, And then you sit for boards Um, which I had previously sat for these high stakes board certification exams for internal medicine. And then also after I completed pulmonary fellowship, I sat for the pulmonary boards. And I'm very grateful that I'm board certified in both. But when I came back from my medical leave, um, I still had another year to finish up for my clinical rotations because I had actually done my research year first because I was pregnant at the time. And Mm -hmm. I decided I did not want to be on uh, clinical rotations. And it just so happened, worked out that the fellowship program 
had just received a new educational training grant so that they needed a research fellow anyway that year. So it really all just worked out well. So when I decided to go back to, to fellowship, I wanted to maximize my chances of, of living and being here on this good earth and really being there for my, my daughter, my family, my patients, of course myself. Uh, and so I wanted to really draw a line in the cement for myself with regards to self-care. Mm -hmm. I had a really significant tendency to overwork and be a workaholic. And I knew that that was not going to be conducive to ongoing self-care if I wanted to make sure that I didn't have a recurrence and that I didn't come down with some other ailment that would take me out of the medical team. So mm -hmm. I decided not to complete my critical care fellowship, even though I was about six months away from being able to sit for the critical care boards. I decided that for my own self-preservation, my own self-care, I would maximize my sleep patterns and circadian rhythms to make sure that those remained healthy as much as possible. Uh, and so I decided not to, to complete critical care fellowship and just focus on pulmonary fellowship. Uh, but I truly believe that everything happens for a reason because right now, because of my experience being a cancer survivor, having had now almost nine years of, of survivorship and eight years of, of teaching mindfulness. Um, it's really shaped where I'm at in my career now. Um, and right now, I feel that I practice medicine in such a way that is very, very, very much in alignment with how I view health and wellness for myself, my patients, and also other healthcare professionals. So I'm actually quite grateful for having had the experience that um, by force and by necessity made me pivot in the way that I take care of myself. Did you feel it was hard for you? I mean, you mentioned kind of being more of a type A, which I think many of us who go into medicine are like that, um, you know, work really hard, have a very strong work ethic, and having to take a step back after taking the years off um, because of your breast cancer diagnosis, and then coming back into your fellowship program, did you find it hard not to kind of revert back to your previous ways? <laughs> Yes and no. Um, yes, I found it hard because I always strive to do my best in everything that I do, um, even mm -hmm. if it means like overworking or staying late um, and going over duty hours. But at the same time, I was also so fresh out of acute treatment that I knew how lucky I was to be able to even come back into um, a pulmonary training program. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I didn't want to take that for granted. And so because of the mindfulness practice that I had already incorporated by the time I came back into fellowship, I was better able to identify when stress levels were building up mm -hmm. from body sensations and from recognizing emotions and thought patterns for what they were so that I could intervene earlier on in my own stress reactivity cycle from the 
mindfulness training um, and kind of like that that cushion of mindfulness that I had built already for myself. Uh, so it was kind of a double-edged um, sword, but I felt prepared because of having mindfulness and yoga practice as one of my go-tos. I definitely want to talk a lot more about your mindfulness practice and how you got into it. Uh, but something that I did want to kind of just um, mention was um, in a previous one of my first episodes with my dear friend, Dr. Heather Pullmenter, who also had the diagnosis of breast cancer, went through um, chemotherapy and surgery, um, and she was actually in private practice doing anesthesia, practicing general anesthesia. And she mentioned, uh, just like you, um, finding more of a yoga practice and meditation and mindfulness. And um, it just, it's, it's um, interesting that, um, that that's what we kind of seek out when we have something as huge as a cancer diagnosis. Um, so I'd like for you to kind of share, share with us, um, you know, you mentioned finding the mindfulness practice. Can you share with us what exactly that was for you and how that's kind of changed you currently? Absolutely. So mindfulness is nothing more than paying attention on purpose to the present moment without judgment. And mm -hmm. so with mindfulness, it is a way of exercising the brain. It's a way of exercising the brain to focus on what is rather than what you think it is. Um, and so it's, it enables you to have a more accurate perception of reality as opposed to one that is judgmental, which is the way that our brains were first made to be. Um, like our judgmental brains we're wired to have something called negative attention bias, which basically means that we notice negative events or negative things happening um, much more readily than positive events. And part mm -hmm. of that is evolutionarily advantageous, right? So the, our ancestors um, back in prehistoric times, the ones that were able to avoid danger because they were more in tune with danger, were able to survive for longer periods of time. But now, luckily in the 21st century, we don't have as many physical predators or as many um, threats that we actually need to physically run away from. So our fight or flight response isn't as helpful. And in fact, it can be quite detrimental to have the activation of your fight or flight response. Uh, because our threats nowadays don't warrant that we physically fight something or someone or um, run away from something or someone as much. So, um, so with that, you can retrain the brain to develop healthier neural circuitry uh, so that you can increase your centers for compassion and empathy and then decrease the centers that are responsible for the fight or flight response. And so what I mean by increase and decrease, I mean by literally changing the way that our brains are wired and our actual um, densities or masses of parts of our brain that are responsible for fight or flight response or compassion and empathy. So, um, 
So that's a lot of great information, especially for people who don't really, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people use the word mindful without really knowing the science behind it. Um, so you talked about, um, you know, uh, your own personal mindfulness um, and, and using that with the diagnosis of breast cancer and uh, post um, treatment and surgery. And so how, so you discovered it while after your diagnosis, is there, was there a certain course or um, how did you incorporate that for yourself? And do you use that right now for your patients as well? Yes, there is a course for mindfulness. The course that has been around since 1979 is the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction course. It was originally developed by John Kabat-Zinn, who was a biochemist mm -hmm. at University of Massachusetts School of Medicine back in 79. Um, he had been a long-standing meditator, um, and he developed this program initially for chronic pain patients. But since then, there have been over 9,000 articles written in the medical literature about the use of mindfulness for now way beyond chronic pain. A lot of different chronic diseases can benefit from mindfulness practice. Um, in the pulmonary world, we know that mindfulness can help decrease the amount of short-acting inhaler use for asthma patients. It can improve their quality of life and also basically decrease their asthma symptoms. In COPD patients, or basically patients who have emphysema, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, the global obstructive lung disease guidelines, the um, gold guidelines for basically the world, they have included mindfulness and yoga as part of ways to improve quality of life for COPD patients, um, to decrease anxiety and depression symptoms, which are important comorbidities of many who have chronic lung disease, but particularly with COPD and emphysema. Um, and then also with addiction in smoking and also with insomnia or basically a type of um, inability to, to fall asleep. So from that, um, with my own patients in the clinic itself, when I am face-to-face -face with a patient pre-coronavirus era, I would actually lead them through a guided awareness of breath practice where um, they are trained to focus on their breath and they realize that they have the ability to calm themselves down when they feel short of breath because of anxiety, that they're able to notice the breath in a non-judgmental way and that helps them to calm down. I also teach them different breathing technique, something called the purse lip breathing technique where you inhale through your nose as if you're smelling roses and then exhaling through your mouth two to four times longer than your inhale, mm -hmm. but exhaling as if you're blowing out birthday candles. So that is called purse lip breathing and that's taught in pulmonary rehabilitation. And you can bring a mindfulness to purse lip breathing and that basically helps to keep open airways so that stagnant air, stagnant carbon dioxide that's built up, especially in patients who have obstructive lung disease, they're able to fully get the stagnant air out of their lungs so that they can make more room for fresh oxygenated air. 
And so that has been tremendously helpful for my patients. I also am a qualified mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher. So I've been teaching the general public for the last couple of years and have taught all levels of medical trainees and all members of the healthcare team all the way up to healthcare administration on mindfulness and how it can impact um, the way that medicine is practiced uh, and basically to help maximize health and wellness by helping to foster a healthier relationship with stress. And yes, yes. to this day, I still absolutely practice mindfulness. Uh, it is a day-to-day practice um, similar to brushing your teeth. Um, yeah. It's been so important to continue to incorporate that and to continue to maximize my quality of life as a cancer survivor that, yeah, absolutely, I, I continue to practice mindfulness. I think that's so great, especially that you offer these courses. And um, I don't know if you know, but um, I'm a chronic pain management physician. And so I do incorporate a lot of integrative medicine principles, or I try to, uh, to my patients. And one of those is um, you know, mindfulness-based stress reduction, which has been shown to be very effective for people who have chronic pain. Um, so you mentioned uh, different uh, things that you do. Um, do you have anything coming up? I know with the coronavirus, um, many things are limited, but um, what sorts of things are you doing outside of your clinical practice? The um, initial plan was in July, I was going to be co leading a retreat for all healthcare professionals in Green Gulch in Northern California. But I think at that, at this time anyway, um, it's probably going to get postponed, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was going to be a day long retreat of yoga and mindfulness meditation exercises and coaching to help uh, healthcare professionals basically decrease stress, perhaps reduce their risk of burnout. Um, So that's going to get postponed because of coronavirus. Uh, And I will likely be offering online mindfulness-based stress reduction in the upcoming weeks to months, depending on how coronavirus plays out. I will say that that really there is no substitute for an in-person mindfulness-based stress reduction class. Um, Having gone through that and then having to, to pivot and teach the last three classes of my latest cycle of mindfulness-based stress reduction on Zoom, online, and live, it is, it is quite different. Um, there is something to be said about being in the presence of other humans who are also suffering, but who are also learning skills that can lessen their own suffering. It's a really empowering, healing way to be in the presence of other humans, like face-to-face, as opposed to being separated by distance and a screen. But for now, because that is what is needed for our own self-care and for the self-care of the entire nation and the world with physical distancing, we make do and the live Zoom sessions are also really fruitful, especially during the time of coronavirus. So there are a lot of resources for for gathering online in community. through contemplative practices. Um, So I started something called the Mindful Healthcare Collective. And it initially started out as a group of physicians who were well-versed in wellness 
um, who are yoga instructors as well and mindfulness teachers, coaches. Um, we also have um, Dr. Jill Wiener, who is an expert in uh, emotional freedom technique, um, which is basically tapping. And yeah, she was um, on our podcast uh, maybe a few uh, a few weeks ago. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And so we've come together in community to offer one to two free Zoom sessions a week for healthcare professionals, but we also offer sessions for parents and kids and for seniors, basically trying to help with um, forming this online community of unconditional support during this difficult time for all of us. Uh, and then other free resources that are not live on the website as well. So that's mindfulhealthcarecollective.com. So my day-to-day -day now, besides doing a lot of telemedicine, is um, helping with the programming of the upcoming sessions that are going to be offered for the rest of this month and also for May. That's great. Yeah, and I think especially during this time, um, we all as a nation and as a world, we, uh, with all this social distancing, um, we need uh, that sense of connection with other human beings. So I think it's great that um, you and your colleagues have formed this group and you yourself are offering um, these sessions for, for the community. Um, well, we are running out of time, but I do wanna to touch on one last thing. Um, I know you mentioned that you do have a yoga practice, but I know um, from our other Facebook group, our Fit Female Physicians, that you do some dragon boating. So I just wanted um, to, to have you share a little bit about that because um, I know some of my friends do dragon boating, but I think it's a great uh, fitness um, type of thing as well as a community thing. So can you share, I know we're not doing that at the moment, um, but can you share with us uh, what exactly you do and how you got involved with all of that? Sure. I am an avid paddler. So I got into paddleboarding about two years ago now through um, incidentally a nurse practitioner friend of mine and she got me into it. And uh, for the last two years before the um, physical distancing orders, I had been paddleboarding at least once to twice a month, sometimes once a week, multiple times a week, depending on the week. Um, love it. And then I led a mindfulness meditation workshop for Young Survival Coalition. And they are a national support group for women who are diagnosed with breast cancer um, under the age of 41. And um, one of the participants in that workshop realized that I was a paddleboarder and she said that I should come check out the Dragon Boat team. Um, and so I did because I was curious and I had actually dragon boated in um, medical school in, D in the DC area. Uh, and I remember fondly during Memorial Day weekend having the Dragon Boat Festival and having competitions out on the Potomac River. Um, and so I thought that this would be yet another way to practice paddling and to get to know other survivors in the community. So um, I'm part of a team called Team Survivor Sea Dragons, and we are a group of women cancer survivors of all different types of cancers, and our age range is all the way from me, I'm like one of the youngest ones, I'm, I'm 40 now, all the way up to 80. 
um, my, one of my wow. is 80. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and the vast majority of them are in their 60s and 70s. So I am actually one of the, the youngest on the team. Um, so we practice twice a week on Mission Bay. And we go out in 20 woman slash man boats um, or 10 woman slash man boats where um, it's basically like a very long but quite heavy canoe where you have two people that are sitting in a row. Um, and when the dragon boat festivals are being held, the dragon boats are what we call dressed, meaning that they're the heads of the dragons and the tails of the dragons and the drums are brought out. Um, and it's a really, really unique way to form a community through fitness, through healthy competition, um, with fitness for ourselves, but also fitness as a team because um, dragon boat racing is a team sport. And so if you are keeping up your own physical fitness, you're not only benefiting yourself, but you're also benefiting the team and helping the team do better in these races. Um, we were gonna be traveling to uh, Arizona, to Tempe, Arizona for their Dragon Boat Festival, but unfortunately, a lot of Dragon Boat Festivals have been canceled. And mm -hmm. um, with the reopening of the beaches in San Diego, we're hoping to be able to get back on the water relatively mm -hmm. soon, but not too soon. Yeah. Well, I mean, I am a huge believer in fitness because I think it's um, not only important for your physical health, but also your mental health. And I absolutely love that you started doing the dragon boating with um, the intention of being an advocate for um, breast cancer and survivors. And I think it's great that you have built or you have formed, you all have formed a community like that. So um, I think it's wonderful. Well, um, we are out of time, but I just wanted to make sure that you had an opportunity to share with our listeners how to reach you and if they're interested in some of your mindfulness courses, how they could go about doing so. Thanks um, for having me, first of all. And if you are interested in learning more about mindfulness, you can go to our website at mindfulhealthcarecollective.com. You can sign up for our email lists. Um, and there are offerings for the general public if you are not a healthcare professional. Um, but lots and lots of offerings for healthcare professionals where we will send you the Zoom meeting ID and passwords. And then also check out our um, other resources on there. Lots of free offerings currently in the wellness meditation yoga space right now. Um, and then for my personal site where I have lots of different mindfulness recordings that you can listen to for free, that's nclangmd.com. So that's N as in Nancy, C as in Kat, Liang, L-I-A-N-G, M-D.com, um, where you can learn more about me and check out some of the podcast articles and access to free meditation recordings that you can try on your own. Thank you so awesome. much for having Thank me. Thank you so much. What an inspiring story. Thank you for sharing your time with us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wish Well podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe and follow along every week for new episodes. You can find us on Instagram at wishwell.health and at our website, wishwell.health.blog. 
Until next time, I wish you health and I wish you wellness. Thank you.